Tholians to episode six of the weird and wonderful Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Jarman and I'm Steve and we're here to compare, contrast and confer about our two favorite franchises. Jarman, what are those? The Muppets and Star Trek and we will be doing one to one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And this week we have special Muppet Show guest Paul Williams in the original series episode Muds Women. Absolutely. Both are spectacular. This is maybe the episode I've been the most excited for thus far. Oh, all right, cool. Makes us get into it. That'd be great. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, all right. And we how did our listeners here feel about our last week's episode? Well, we actually got a response from our our wonderful fan here, some kind of Garf on YouTube. Uh, He's got a message here. Says, "You jerks! I had a sore throat listening and laughing at the whole evil blanket bit. Made it worse. What was the what was the evil blanket bit?" Because I, I was talking about how the transporter not working didn't make sense. Because like, why couldn't they send down a blanket? Oh yeah. So were they worried about an evil blanket? <laughs> I forgot then arriving about that. That's hilarious. In its place, a blanket with a goatee. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That's right. <laughs> he says, "I can't it's all oiled up. It's got mascara on. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be oiled up for some reason." Uh, he's like, "I can't actually verify this, but it looks to me like they performed the duck soup esque mirror sequence by having Jim have a Kermit on each hand and a secondary puppeteer doing a few arm rod movements because there weren't that many arm movements. He says, more commonly and less elaborately done in At the Dance. Uh, Explains how fluid the movement was and how well the voices synced. That makes a lot of sense. I'm kind of Garf. I totally agree. Yeah, that does. And he says, edit, and I only just remembered you talked about this in episode two. Whoops. As for dancers, I got a whole bit about that i might say for the raquel welch episode if i remember haha <laughs> as only a fledgling trekkie i appreciate basic trivia well thank you yeah we'll keep doing the trivia for the basic fans out there you're basic. Yeah, we're here for fledglings in both camps that's true i'm a fledgling in the muppet camp so i'm, I'm learning as i go uh looking forward to the next episode paul williams is i think t- my tied favorite season one guest along with uh mum and shots which we're getting to soon yeah mum and shots is is one of the weird ones i kind of warned you about yeah but he likes it apparently <laughs> he does so. he says p.s you brought this wall of text on yourselves because <laughs> we asked him to keep commenting well thank you some kind of garf you are officially our number one fan i think i can say pretty definitively that's true so, so far you're you're here at the beginning with us and we appreciate that been That's amazing. right. You're here at the base of the empire. <laughs> we hope so. That we're going to build. Absolutely. So I think we'll yeah. bring this right into the, the Muppet Show episode, doesn't it? That's right. So Paul Williams is a very special guest, and I always want to give our audience a little bit of background because not all of these guests are um, super familiar to people, even in our generation. I had to look him up. So Paul Williams is a singer, songwriter. He wrote and co-wrote a bunch of hits for groups like uh, Three Dog Night and for The Carpenters. He wrote We've only just begun. And this, you know, rainy days and Mondays always get me down. I think he did that one, too. Um, but he also did music and lyrics for 1976's A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. Barbra Streisand. His song Evergreen won the Oscar for best uh, original song that year. Mm-hmm. But what, what do we know him from? Like our generation? Well, he collaborated on two songs with Daft Punk. Really? On their multi-award winning album, Random Access Memories, where he co-wrote one song and did the vocals on another. 
And when they won the album of the year award, he went up and spoke on their behalf because they don't come out with their faces. Yeah. They've got their, their whole getup on. Um, and it was something to the effect of, uh, when I was younger and drinking, I used to see terrible, awful things. And then I got sober and two robots called me and asked if I wanted to make an album. <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> He's a funny little guy. Uh, so that's what our generation might know Paul Williams from. Well, what's he famous for in the Muppet world? Uh, well, he wrote Rainbow Connection that's along right. with a ton of other music for a ton of other Muppet things. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. I just saw the Rainbow Connection. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, he big friend and fan of the Muppets and did a lot of work with, uh, with Jim. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, so this episode is all about him. We start out with the opening number. Um, all of me where a monster performs a musical number while slowly removing pieces of his body and face until there's nothing left. Mm-hmm. Uh, following this, we get backstage plot where scooter is trying to pitch a joint act to Fozzie, which is the telephone pole bit where Fozzie informs him that he works alone. Uh, next, we have Paul Williams' first number, Old Fashioned Love Song. This is one of the ones that he wrote for Three Dog Night, and they made famous. Just an uh, old-fashioned love song. Like, two puppet versions of himself come out of a radio, and then the entire go not the entire, but a huge chunk of the Go-Go Lagala Jubilee Jug Band comes out <laughs> uh, and join him, and then they all kind of disappear back into the radio. And I was like, okay, this is kind of, uh, all right, he's singing a song. But then when puppets came out that looked just like him, I was like, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we then find ourselves in Muppet Labs with Dr. Bunsatani Dew, who demonstrates his all-purpose tenderizer, which turns dishes into rubber and eventually like turns the countertop into rubber. It's funny and cute. Yeah. Uh, we get, after this, we get like a lovely, serene little poem by Ralph the dog called Silence, in which more and more characters come in and cause more and more noise as he is reading this poem called silence. They're basically acting out the things that he's saying in the poem. Yeah. Yeah. But like the reverse kind of of right. Um, following this, uh, we get a lovely little moment with Paul Williams remarking how he wanted to host uh, the show because he would finally be the tallest person on a show. He's then joined on stage by three of the large human sized Muppets, <laughs> including Sweetums who basically rub it in his face. How little he is. And I looked it up. He is five foot two. So he is a short man. He is. A, he is a little guy. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, backstage Fozzie is practicing the telephone pole act, which <laughs> Scooter has talked him into. Hilda says that no one will ever believe it until a worker comes by and strings phone line on Fozzie as he's standing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Suddenly we find ourselves at the dance. There's no particular theme to this one uh, with the best joke kind of coming at the end when animal violently takes his dance partner for a trip and they really fall. (laughs) Next we get Mary Louise, a sweet little girl puppet and a chorus of frogs singing. I'm in love with a big blue frog. And that it's pretty straightforward and it's a cute little number. The, the puppets were a bit creepy in that one because they were, they, besides Kermit, they were all had big beady eyes and it was kind of a little scary. Yeah. Uh, afterwards is the talk spot where Kermit and Paul sort of reminisce about famed short people, including Napoleon and Truman Capote. And this devolves into a series of elevator jokes because Paul wears lifts in his shoes. It's a little weird, but it ends with Paul floating away which is fun. Yes. There's a quick cut backstage where Fozzie reveals uh, that he continues to practice being a telephone pole, which is going well as a woodpecker mistakes him for a pole and comes over and pecks on him. 
Mm-hmm. Paul then acts in a sketch where he's a travel agent, which is something that doesn't really exist anymore no. for the most part. The and a monster says he wants to get to Pittsburgh for some reason. And Paul offers him cheaper and cheaper ways, first putting him on a plane and then the terrible plane in the end, flattening him down with a huge weight and then mailing him. Yeah, I actually really like that wet sketch. It was cute. Um, now we get, uh, talking houses. It's a similar joke actually to the one from last episode, but in this case, the mother is very religious because she's a church. Yeah. It wasn't funny it's, at all. No one laughs. <laughs> we get Wayne and Wanda after this acting out the classic magician, cutting a woman in half trick while singing, you do something to me. Wayne then begins to cut Wanda with a saw and she screams and it's actually kind of dark. It is. And they cut away pretty quickly. It's time for the Muppet News Flash, where the newsman interviews a man about an unusual story, which is just Paul Williams saying that someone called him, but then there was no one at the other end of the line. It was the darndest thing. It's the darndest thing. (laughs) Backstage again, Fozzie gets nervous about the telephone bit, fearing that he is going to fall flat on stage. This fear is only just further exacerbated when it's revealed that two vultures are like watching him from the balcony. (laughs) Kind of dark. Inevitably, it's time for the actual telephone bit which is pretty lame. Uh, But Statler and Waldorf like it because at least it was short. Mm -hmm. Finally, we have our closing. Paul starts out uh, and then an assortment of puppets sort of join in as the number goes on, singing a somber number called Sad Song, which is from one of Paul's albums. Uh, The final curtain call comes. Paul is joined by some of the big monsters who once again make a short joke and Kermit signs off. Thanks, everybody. And that is the Paul Williams episode. I, there was a, a number in my version that had at the, towards the very end with Rolf playing the piano again. Yeah, that's sad song. Oh, that was him during sad song. That's right. Okay. I was, I was yeah, going like, to yeah. comment how it's always crazy how it looks like he's actually playing the notes and the tempo of the song. Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right. It's so crazy. I don't know how they do that. It's the same reason, like, for the most part, you know, Animal looks like he's playing the drums. That's true. <laughs> like, they really <laughs> did perform it. It's weird. Um, so let's talk about some factoids in the music in this episode. So all of me, uh, where the Muppet rips off all of its parts, it was a jazz standard from the 30, which has been covered a bunch of times by people ranging from Louis Armstrong and Willie Nelson. And there are actually four different recorded arrangements of this song by Frank Sinatra. All of me. Why not? But four different versions Frank recorded over the course of his career. Mm -hmm. Uh, Old fashioned love song. One of Paul Williams uh, songs he wrote made popular by three dog night. And it was originally rejected by the Carpenters and then passed to three dog night. Oh, wow. Big mistake. Uh, I'm in love with a big blue frog. This is from uh, Peter, Paul and Mary, like a folk group that had some popularity Mm -hmm. from their album. 1700. And it was written by a guy named Leslie Bronstein, who is one of the original members of Blue Oyster Cult, who wrote <laughs> Don't Fear the Reaper. Don't Fear the Reaper. <laughs> That's great. Um, you Do Something to Me, which Wayne and Wanda kind of start, is written by Cole Porter, who also wrote hits, uh, the hit show Kiss Me Kate, and wrote a ton of what are basically a associated as Sinatra standards. Oh yeah. It's including I get a kick out of you and I've got you under my skin. Yep. Lots of stuff. Cole Porter. He's huge. Oh yeah. Sad songs. I mentioned this was a Paul Williams song. This is from his sixth album called a little bit of love. Um, some fun factoids. This is actually the episode in season one that got them their first Emmy nomination. Oh, very nice for outstanding writing in a comedy or variety show. Uh, this is also the first Muppet Labs with Dr. Bunsen, Honeydew. Mm, okay, I forgot about that. 
uh, in the the frog number, this is one of kind of the first appearance of uh, nephew Robin, ah. uh, who would later become a recurring character of Kermit's nephew. There was a miniature version of him that was used to never smile on a crocodile a few episodes ago, but it's not the real puppet that would become to be known. Gotcha. And um, yeah, so Jarman, what, what did you think about the Paul Williams episode? Well, starting off, I was like, I had no idea who this guy was. So I looked him up before the episode started, and then he comes on screen. I'm like, who is this Hobbit man? <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> and uh, I looked at the songs on Wikipedia. I'm like, wow, this guy's written a lot of things I know. And so I became more interested. And then he was actually really good with the Muppets. That's always that's becoming like a barometer for me when the episode starts off. It's like, how good are they interacting with the Muppets? And he seemed right at home with them, um, which is pretty cool. But a um, few laugh out loud moments where it was just really funny and they had more like adult humor and stuff and i was just really getting into it and i'm getting to the groove of the show um the uh the talk spot was a little you know it was all right but uh otherwise i don't know it was just it was just a really solid episode and i really i'm loving rolf more and more but uh it's yeah he's he's becoming my favorite character as well is rolf is rolf kind of in in the front runner as your favorite yeah pretty much in the movies it was leaning towards um uh, Rizzo and uh, Pepe, <laughs> but but right now I think I'm going Rolf. Um, I, I think my one kind of dislike of this episode is that they just spent so much time making short jokes. Yeah, that's kind of like the one trick pony Paul? they had. Yeah, and and I get it, and it'd be fun to call it out early and kind of get it out in front, and then just ignore it. But then they just kept doing it. But there's so much interesting things about this man writing it, these wonderful it just songs. Felt shallow. Yeah. And then the, the B plot wasn't too interesting. Yeah, he, looks like, he looks like the poor man's Elton John. Yeah. <laughs> but like the whole thing about the pole gag wasn't that interesting. It wasn't as good as the, what was it? The banana no, it gag from not. the last thing. So yeah, it just wasn't as interesting. So it kind of took away from it. A little uh, bit. I do love the Pittsburgh sketch with the monster. That feels like it could be in any season of the Muppets and still be really good. Which one? Uh, the where he's mailing the monster to Pittsburgh. Oh, I love that one. That was really funny. That was solid. That was a good, solid sketch and could fit in anywhere. Absolutely loved it. And then old fashioned love song is just such a good song and so well performed that it'll always be one of my favorites. Um, another one of my favorites that I've always loved was all of me. That opening number. I just remember being obsessed with it because the effect is so cool mm. of the monster pulling off its lips and then pulling out its heart and giving it its hands and and then disappearing entirely at the end. That was so cool to me as a kid. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that uh, we discussed in a previous episode that Steve and I are watching different versions of this show. And that particular sketch was not in my version. Uh, but, oh, man. But when you described it, I'm like, oh, I've seen that sketch before. Because I've, def- oh, yeah. I've definitely watched that on like YouTube or something before somewhere. I've seen it because I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, good, good. Um, but yeah, that one is just absolutely blows my mind as a kid. And even now it is so cool. And it's a great song too, for that matter. Yeah. It's pretty much like probably gone down in history as a very famous sketch from this. <laughs> uh, well, good. I'm glad that you like this episode. Yeah. If I didn't like this one, we'd be I'm in glad trouble. I don't have to fight you about it's it. It's considered a, one of the stronger episodes. Like I gotta like this. One. It really is. And it truly is one of the stronger episodes. And I'm excited for Bunsen Honeydew to, you know, kind of grow as a character. Yeah. Muppet Labs is going to becomes one of those reoccurring sketches that comes along with the popularity of characters. And honestly, it's not Bunsen Honeydew's. I wish I could say it was Bunsen Honeydew's popularity that does it, but really it's Beaker. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, once he joins, because that is what takes that to the next level. I am sad. We didn't yet again, have another veterinarian hospital thing, but I'll get over it. It'll come. It'll be there. Cause we're all, I promise favorite. you it'll come back. 
Uh, so, German, tell us about the original series episode we lo- we watched. Sure. So now we have Mud's Women, which is introduces us to a character who actually is one of the only characters in Star Trek history who is not a member of the main cast to return in a later episode, which I will get to next season. Um, but Harry Mud, and he even comes back in uh, Star Trek Discovery, the new TV show, played by Rain Wilson uh, from Office Fame. So, if you guys watch this episode, you'll be on the history of that episode as well. Hmm. So it starts off with the Enterprise in pursuit of a cargo ship. This cargo ship is running away from them for some reason, and it's, it tries to go into an asteroid field to escape from them, and it overloads its engine, so it's about to explode. So the Enterprise tries to put its uh, shields over it to protect them, but in doing so, it blows out their lithium crystals, which later on are called dilithium crystals. Um, all but one dilithium crystal is left, and so it's, and it's already very badly damaged, but they barely beam over um, the crew of that ship that blows up right after they beam them over. And who comes over but Harry Mudd, who's going by a fake name of Captain Leo Walsh with a really thick, fake Irish accent. Um, but right after he comes over, the rest of his crew comes, and it's three gorgeous women who are almost seem to hypnotize any men who look at them with their beauty because they're so gorgeous. And they're lit very well, so they look you know, really pretty and ethereal. They are lit extremely well. <laughs> There's actually trivia about that later we'll get into. Ooh. So... uh Mud, still going by Walsh, uh, says that he is transporting these women to be wives for settlers on a nearby planet. Um, Kirk is uh, very pissed that he had to follow the ship into an asteroid field and they're running away from them. So he has an official hearing to figure out why he was running away. Um, The computer they have in this hearing, they're all sitting around a table. It can tell when he's lying. So they find out that he's actually called Harry Mud and he's wanted for several crimes. He's like a smuggler. It's all around, you know, bad guy. Uh, but, you know, I guess a rapscallion, a scoundrel kind of person. Um, and right at that moment, basically, the final crystal fails and they find out the ship only has three days of battery power left, backup power before it fails entirely. And they'll basically just, you know, run out of um, what do you call it? Life support. There you go. So luckily, there is a mining planet uh, within about two days range. We could uh, they could trade for some new crystals and get back on their way. But before they get to this mining planet, Mud secretly gets a communicator and talks to the miners there and finds out that they're rich and lonely. And there's three of them. And so he could trade these women for his freedom. So basically, he makes a deal with them to take the women and convince Captain Kirk to give him his freedom as well in order to get the dilithium crystals. So Kirk refuses these miners at first, but then he realizes the ship will basically crash into their planet if they don't get the crystals in time. So he decides to allow it to happen. So. In that time, we find out in the cabin with Mud and these women, we find out they're taking a pill called Venus, which makes them hypnotically beautiful. But when they don't take it, they start to age and look less beautiful, basically. And they do this in the show by making them wrinkly and just, you know, I guess more plain looking, but they're not really ugly. Yeah. Um, So Kirk and the crew beam down to the planet with Mud and the women, um, and they start having a little party in the miners' quarters right when a storm is starting to hit. Um, but then the men start kind of fighting over the women because Eve, one of the women, is not being very receptive to her man that's there that she's being assigned to. And she's mm-hmm. very upset and she runs out into the storm. And they can't find her safely in the storm by going out there and trying to find her on their own. So they go back to the ship to use the scanners, try to look for her. But the miner that was supposed to be assigned to her, he goes out to look for himself in person. And he brings her back, but she's unconscious over his shoulder. So she puts him, he puts her to sleep. When the morning comes, she's making him breakfast and she's cleaned up, but now she's kind of plain looking and he's really angry about that and confronting her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Mud and Kirk come back down to the planet and they confront the miner. Kirk has found out about the pills and he tells this guy, he's like, look, she's taking these pills to be beautiful. 
Um, Eve yells at the miner and says, is this what you want? She takes three of the pills from Kirk and she puts them in her mouth at one time and slowly she becomes very beautiful again and her hair is pretty and she's got makeup on. And he asks the miner, this is what he wants, just some woman who's selfish and vain, but not a true wife. But Kirk tells her, actually, those weren't Venus pills at all. That was just a placebo. Really, you had the self-confidence to be beautiful this whole time. (laughs) So uh, it's a little 60s, a little dated. Um, But this makes the miner interested in her again, what she said to him, and also the fact that she can be beautiful just with confidence. And so he asks for her to stay, and she does. Uh, so Mud then tries to convince Kirk to just leave him on the mining planet, abandon him there. That's punishment enough. But Kirk says no. And then instead, he'll be a character witness at Mud's trial, sarcastically. Uh, so the Enterprise gets the crystals from the miners and then they go on their way. End of episode. Mm, okay. So uh, I have some trivia, but let's talk about what you liked about the episode first. Well, let's do trivia. Okay. I just wanted to do this a little let's bit. Stay, of let's stay in the order that we do it. Sure. Uh, so... So uh, Gerald Perry Feinerman uh, was encouraged to be creative in choosing directive lighting and camera angles, the, uh, the cinematographer, which we noticed in the mm-hmm. episode. Uh, it was said that uh, we're all in outer space, they told him, and we're in color. NBC claims to be the first full color network. So let's prove it for them. When you light the sets, throw wild colors in magenta, red, green, any color you can find, especially behind the actors when they're in a close shot. Be dramatic. In fact, go overboard. Backlight the women and make them more beautiful. Take some chances. Nobody can tell you that's not the way the future will look. How can they? They ain't been there yet. That's what they told him to do. <laughs> like, what a ridiculous thing to tell someone. Yeah, that's right. In the future, everywhere will have eccentric lighting. <laughs> really dramatic. Ah. So uh, <laughs> NBC program manager Jerry Stanley recalled that one of the problems we had was in trying to talk Gene Roddenberry out of some of his sexual fantasies that would come to life in the scripts. Some of the scenes he would describe were totally unacceptable. Uh, William Shatner noted that NBC allowed Mud's women to be produced at all is still a minor miracle because um, it's just a lot of sexuality and stuff in a lot of these early scripts from Gene Roddenberry until he was kind of reined in. Because, you know, these first four episodes are really objectifying women and then it kind of gets better after this episode. Well, not only that, I realized this episode... There was so much skin shown with these outfits. Oh, yeah. I was like, man, even on television today, that would be like, there'd be people up in arms. Yeah. The They're one, all in the Midwest, but still somewhere there would be people up in arms. The one uh, one with the short blonde hair, uh, she had like a, a dress that was, you could almost see her crotch. And yeah, this was a, a month bef- after she had appeared in Playboy that, that um, she was a model actress. Oh, who had just wow. Been okay. in Playboy in the early okay. 60s, uh, late 60s. Uh, regarding the script, Herbert F. Solo commented, it was very well written. Um, it was fun and it f- featured three beautiful women hookers selling their bodies throughout the galaxy. <laughs> That's what he said. Uh, hey, yeah. We, we talked about space hookers on a play on nerves. Did we? <laughs> space hookers. Our old show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it was like, they, they went into cryogenic freeze just to be woken up for the next trick. I think was the whole premise. Oh, gosh. That's true. Uh, and this last one, right. I didn't know this, that this was originally going to be a candidate for the first pilot. Besides, it wasn't going to be the cage. It could have been this. Um, but it turned out to be the cage instead, which I think was the right choice because this would have been a weird first go around. Yes, that definitely is the right choice. Yeah. So that's a little bit of trivia there for you, some behind the scenes stuff. Uh, so, yeah. What did you think of this episode? Um, things I really liked. I love mud. <laughs> he was a great character, not only because of how overblown he was, but because it was really fun to watch him switch tactic to tactic, like without skipping a beat. Yeah. Like as soon as they turned him that he wasn't the captain that he said he was, he's like, Oh, what about sick? What choice? 
did I have but to take up his mantle? Like just <laughs> the way that he flowed from one lie to the next was so good. Oh yeah, very likable so character. Um, and it was really fun to watch someone get a true upper hand on Kirk, mm. like a real upper hand on Kirk. Um, I I liked that there were so many times. Um, something I do not like in television movies in general is when things are revealed to us before the characters. Right. I think there's something really good about finding out the same time the characters do. Um, But for whatever reason in this episode, I really liked it. I liked how we knew something was up with the women. I knew that they were losing their beauty, but you didn't quite understand why. I actually really enjoyed it. And I'm not sure what was different about this equation because normally it bugs the crap out of me. Maybe because we were like, we were having fun with mud at the same time he was having fun. Yeah. And that might've been it. Um, But normally I hate it. But this one, I loved finding things out just a little sooner than the crew. Nice. Um, Things I disliked once again, like what's really going on is sort of my, my constant complaint is at the end when she has gone dull so to speak, for lack of a better term. Eve, the one of the and, women, yeah. And Eve. And they give her the, the thing and she takes it. She clearly changes. Oh, her, her clothes changed, her hair changed, and she got makeup her on. Her hair changed, she has fresh makeup on, <laughs> her wrinkles are gone. So for them to be like, that was a placebo, I'm like, ah, bullshit. <laughs> it was just confidence um, that changed her hair in, moment, in a moment's time. It just, that felt shallow and it made the whole message that they were really laying on thick, feel that much thicker and clumsier. <laughs> I agree. Because I'm like, but wait, she did change though. It wasn't just her confidence. She looked, she looks different now. <laughs> it was magic. <laughs> it was just magic. I space magic. <laughs> space um, magic. So, you know, I, that, that felt a little bit shoehorned, but otherwise I really did enjoy this episode. Uh, one of the other things I liked was it was nice. It was interesting to see character development between two characters that weren't the main crew. Oh, my God. Eve and her minor husband. We got whole, like we got a few scenes of them interacting and him coming around and her showing her worth. And that was really nice to see because it didn't have to involve Kirk or Spock or anyone. Yeah. It was like, he actually changed his mind about her and and had a, a little bit of an arc. Between an irascible minor, yeah, dude. and for uh, for two characters that are not the main characters to have an arc in an episode, I think I'm going to guess is rare, uh, especially in the '60s. Yeah, for sure, they didn't think about that very much. Kind of like villain um, of the week, so and that's I, it. I really appreciated that. Nice. Um, but before we go on, I, I got some questions. All right. <laughs> okay, so when they're doing Harry Mudd's trial, mm-hmm. um, so two questions about this. Has this like like liar tell it like lie detector computer ever been used again? <laughs> I don't think it ever is again. I could be wrong, but I don't know. It was weird. Back. It was like analyzing records and stuff and then telling them if he was lying. It was just strange. And I was like, why how the hell does this piece of technology exist? Like I get how the future could have technology like that, but they they don't explain it. It does it says in a quick line it's like it only checks things against the records. So like, right. Maybe and they knew, have no record, so it won't find anything about that. Maybe them. it knew by his voice that he wasn't someone named Leo Walsh. He was actually something else. I don't know, yeah. but it's so that felt just a little. So, okay. But that that's never been seen. Right. again. Right. So then on the screen, when they show Harry's record, there's a mention of a future police record. Are there time police? Did it say that? I didn't even see that. 
Yeah, on his record plate, it says future police record. Oh, well, there are, and I just wasn't sure if there are time cops. There are time police, but they're very secret. And so they wouldn't be on like a public, uh, like a record like that. At least they shouldn't be. Huh. But that's okay. cool. I need to go back and look at that. <laughs> yeah, take a look at it. Maybe I read it wrong, but I'm, I swear to you, it says future police record. We, we find out there's time police. Basically, I forgot what they're called at the moment, but it was in Star Trek Enterprise with Scott Bakula. Uh, that's when you okay. introduce the time police and they kind of work side by side with uh, with Starfleet. Uh, but yeah, interesting. Okay. <laughs> now, well, I got some great Trek connections this I week. I don't know how you get these, but it's amazing. Just some fantastic Trek connections. So first off, Paul Williams appeared on an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Really? In season six, he's an episode called Virtuoso, where the Enterprise welcomes a very short and diminutive race of aliens who enjoy the doctor's singing because they've never discovered music. Oh, yes, yes. Does sound familiar? Uh-huh, I know the episode. Paul well. Williams plays the lead little guy. That's amazing. Uh, and so here, here's another Trek connection, kind of. Um, Paul Williams played the Penguin in the Batman animated series. <laughs> and Gene Donarski, who played Ben, was in two episodes of the original 1960s Batman. Who played Ben? Who's Ben? Ben was like the main miner. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and also Roger Carmel, who played mud was also on an episode of the original Batman. That makes sense. Playing uh, a character called Colonel gum. <laughs> okay. So uh, th- those are the Trek connections I was able to find for this episode. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> what are the chances? So similarities uh, between these two episodes, these are always fun to try to find, to pull out. Oh, yeah. Dig uh, them out. So Bodies I, out of the fire. I got one. Uh, here we go. So the woman Eve was forced to pretend to be, uh, she was forced to pretend that she was something she's not. Like you could tell she was struggling with the idea of okay, becoming yeah. someone's wife. Um, and this is just like when Fozzie was forced to be a telephone pole. You know, it's not who he is. <laughs> I'll give you a point for that one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What's one of yours? Uh, Both have dancing sequences involving couples, both on Rigel 12 with the minors and at the dance. That's true. That is very true. That's right. Uh, Ralph is trying to read a poem about silence and is constantly distracted by people around him. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, Kirk is trying to run a ship while the crew around him is distracted by the women. Wow, you go much more existential with these. <laughs> I usually wouldn't, but I really couldn't think of things. But it, these still uh, work. <laughs> in at the dance, there's a joke about Janice getting annoyed about a man not looking at her, just like Eve gets mad at her intended husband that doesn't seem to want her. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. What is that? I hear something. Trans- oh, no, wait, I've got one more. Oh, well, fuck. I think we fixed the transporter malfunction problem. What, what you got? <laughs> Both have someone uh, surrounded by fake techno crap. Dr. Bunsen Honeydew in his lab and the entire Star Trek cast in Star Trek. <laughs> so that could be a recurring similarity. Oh, yeah. There's always just fake techno crap around. <laughs> hey, it's all real in Star Trek. I don't know what you're talking about. That's right. It's all space magic. Space magic. Oh, no. What's that sound? Oh, no. God. <laughs> Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. So this time the episode where we uh, uh, transport one character or actor from one of the shows to the other episode. And uh, it's a transporter malfunction, man. So that's right. My first one. So my f- oh, go. Yeah. 
I'll go ahead. No. I'm going to do it. Uh, <laughs> All right. So Harry Mudd is going to exchange for Paul Williams, but only for the travel agent sketch. That is literally what my first one was. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I even wrote down only for the travel agent. That's really funny. Because <laughs> I could totally yeah, see that. I like him the idea of him it. like going from thing to thing, like giving cheaper, seedier options. And really oh, relishing. Oh, I can put you in a bus for $3.99. <laughs> oh, anything want- cheaper? Oh, I can put you in a crate being pulled behind a Winnebago for $112. Anything cheaper? <laughs> it, yeah they just it, it would be too good but just for that one sketch yeah okay what's your I second totally one? agree <laughs> uh, i think that dr bunsen honeydew should have come over and advised them on the engines because he it's all the same techno crap <laughs> <laughs> he could have put the uh, material that he's making in this episode onto the crystal or something right. make it pliable. That's right uh, the dilithium crystal is cracked, sir. <laughs> Make it pliable. No longer cracked. <laughs> uh, I had Paul Williams but exchange for Eve. Uh, and he would take the <laughs> Venus pill to become taller. <laughs> but all he needs to learn that it's just about having confidence, not how tall you he are. Would, he would take the Venus pill to become Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they'll be like, you don't need to take that pill to become Elton John. You can be whoever you want as long as you're confident. Oh man, I can't believe we had the same one. That's so good. That's really an exact same way too. <laughs> That's right. Brilliant uh, minds, man. Brilliant absolutely. minds. Uh, yeah. So that brings us to the end of episode six of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for episode seven of the Muppet Show with special guest Florence Henderson and original series episode. What are little girls made of? So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us, live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. <laughs>